we are called by God to do is make disciples. And we make disciples by, by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those parents are making that promise. And we're making that promise as a church that that's what we're going to teach them. We're going to teach them the gospel according to the word of God in the hopes that they will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said, the last words of Jesus Christ before he ascended. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We are commanded by God to make disciples. And what makes us effective in that is when we genuinely have a heart for God and a desire and a longing to join him in what he's doing. And it's a revived church that does that. And that's why we've been praying for revival. If you would pull out your bulletin, notice how we're praying for revival this week. It's there, it's always listed, and we're gonna be praying every day for this. We're praying in, intentionally this week for those who, who maybe have been in our church, are in our church, but have never come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who sit in pews, but who have never experienced the life-transforming power of the Spirit of God and have never repented of sin and believed. And so this week, we want to pray that within our body of believers, that we will be what is called a regenerate church membership, that we will be made up of born-again believers. And so we want to pray toward that end. Because again, when we have a passion for God, when we are living in a great love for God, that, that love manifests itself in our lifestyle, but also in our words. We're in this series right now. We're talking about impact. And last week, we were in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 4. And the scripture last week taught us that our lifestyle must match the message of the gospel. We must live in such a way that, that what we live for and how we live communicates who we believe in. God has called us as Living Hope to be a family of disciples impacting our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. It is not enough that we live in such a way that we reveal the goodness of God. Friends, we must say who it is we believe in. We must actually use words and tell people the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I appreciate uh, the, the words of, of Sean Cole. He wrote a great book, Your Identity in the Trinity. And, and he quotes this. He said, I quote him today. He says, uh, St. Francis of Assisi's statement has done us no good when he supposedly said, and again, I, my doctoral work was a, a part of it was on Francis of Assisi, and I seriously doubt he said this. But they say that he says, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. That's silly. To preach the gospel, you have to say words. To make disciples, you have to say words. He compares it to, to not using words. He says, that's like saying play basketball always. If necessary, use a ball. Go hunt elk with a rifle and if necessary, use bullets. Bake chicken parmesan and if necessary, use chicken. Paint your nails and if necessary, use nail polish. If you're going to make disciples, you're going to have to tell the truth. You're going to have to speak the truth about the gospel of God. We're going to have to use words. Do our, do our lifestyles matter? Yes. How we live is crucial because it gives our words a hearing. But we must share what we believe. Fundamentally, as Christians, we believe that God made everything in harmony. But our world is not as it should be. 
We believe that sin has entered the world and because of sin, there is brokenness. So when we talk about the three circles, we understand that the problem with our world today is not God, but humanity. We sinned. We turned against God. The reason why there's brokenness with our relationship with God within and with other people is because of sin. Now, we have to choose how we're going to deal with that brokenness. Now, you, you can, and there's a lot of ways, there's a lot of things you can buy out there. There's a lot of messages going out there. The message that we are to proclaim is the message that God has not abandoned us in our sin that God has come to rescue us, to forgive us. And we, if we will repent and believe that we can have new life and we can recover and pursue God's design, we must share that. We must say that. And that's what our text is, is challenging us with today. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Colossians chapter four and let's go to verse six. Let's all stand together. Jacob newly minted baptized believer is going to read for us. He was baptized just a few weeks ago and today he comes to read our scripture. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6. Jacob read that for us. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Good job Jacob. All morning long he's done a great job. If you guys would go ahead and, and be seated. Words are very important. And it's not, I don't say that just because words are what I do for a living. Words are important. Words create worldviews. Mom and dad, what you talk about at home and how you talk about it is creating for your child a worldview. How you talk at work, how you talk at school, how you talk with your neighbors, how you talk when you're out and about. You are influencing people with your words. Your ideas are being formed through thought that then come out as words. And those words are going to influence other people. What we say, how we say it is so, so very important. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing to this church, Colossae. That's where we get the name of the book, Colossians. He's writing to this particular church. And he was warning them about their words. See, the Colossian people were living in a culture where there were multiple religions. So for them to come in and say, no, 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 there's only one true God who's revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that did not make sense to this culture who believed in a pantheon of gods. This message that the one true God became human, lived a holy life, died for sin, and was raised on the third day, that was unlike anything else they'd ever heard. That just sounded crazy to them. And then to be told, yes, and now he's alive in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, that made no sense to them. It, it created for them a lot of criticism. It created, you know, uh, around them a lot, a lot of questions because the, the culture that, that that church was in just didn't understand what it was they believed and what they were talking about. Now, you and I, friends, we have to understand we are now living in a post-Christian culture. Most of the people that we're around that, that have not been raised in Christianity, they know very little about the scripture. 
They have, they have very little biblical reference. And so there's a lot of questions because, again, there's all kinds of religions out there. There's, there's all kinds of ideologies that are being pressed upon our culture. We have to assume and, and, and not get mad when they say things about what we believe. We must understand there's a lot of confusion. And so when we're talking, we have to use words that are understandable. We have to use words that they can respond to. We need to understand what our words mean, and they need to be sensible. You know, living in a Southern culture, we talk weird. You know that, right? So a a few years ago, I was at a pastor's conference, and there was a comedian there by the name of Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy. And I didn't know this guy was a Christian. He shared a great testimony of how he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then he lectured us pastors on on needing to use words appropriately and and, and not use what he called Christianese, this, uh, this language that's out there. And then he did this whole thing about how people in the Southern culture, how they talk and, and how it's hard to understand what they're talking about because the language they use. And I thought it would be good to see a few examples of that this morning, all right? So th- here we are. Jeff Foxworthy, about the words we use because they they don't necessarily make sense. I mean, to to, to me, I understand the word saved. I understand what that word means. A lot of people, they don't know what that word means. There's all kinds of words that, that we need to be very careful. We need to begin to assume that most people haven't been in church, that they don't know church language. They don't know the catch, catchphrases. And we got to be very intentional about how we speak and why we speak. Look in verse 4, what it says in verse, in verse 6. I'm sorry, chapter 4, beginning verse 6. Let your speech. That, that is, that is a, a, a command there that we need to let our words be very intentional. We need to use words with intentionality. Now, what should these words do? That's what our text reveals, okay? In, in this one verse, three things to take note of. First of all is this. Disciples of Jesus use words to convey grace. To convey grace. Let your speech always be gracious. It is easily to be critically truthful mean-spiritedly truthful. Well, I'm just telling them what they don't want to hear. I'm just telling them what I think. I'm just telling them what, I, what needs to be said. That's fine, but it's not helpful when you say it in a very mean-spirited way. That's not how Jesus communicated. You go back and, and you look at the words of Jesus, what his words were like. They were true. They were full of grace. John chapter 1, verse 14 And the Word, that is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Our words are to be full of grace and truth. Not mean, not, not, you know, just just plain critical, but gracious words. Words that that can be helpful along with hopeful. And, And as we talk, we need to always appreciate the fact that everyone we're talking with, everybody in this room right now, everyone who's listening right now, there are four fundamental questions that are constantly being asked. And I've shared this with you before, but it's so important to realize this and to remember this because sometimes I think we just think, well, we're the only ones who think about this stuff. Friends, every person on this planet is constantly asking themselves, where am I from? What went wrong? Can anybody fix it? Is there any reason to have hope? Every person is constantly asking that question. Where am I from? What, what, What am I? What went wrong? Because I know this isn't as it should be. 
Is there anybody who can fix what's wrong with me and what's wrong with our world? And is there any reason to have hope? Let me tell you, there's only one sure place to find the answer to those four fundamental questions, and that is the Bible. The Bible, as you've heard me say often, is not a collection of stories or sayings. It is a single story, and its four parts communicate the the fundamental questions that every human being is asking. Where are we from? Well, we've been created in the image of God. We were made in the image of God. God made all things to be in harmony. Well, what went wrong? Well, we committed sin, and now we're living under the conditions of the fall. Sin created brokenness, and that's why there's so much pain and suffering. Can anybody fix it? Good news. Jesus Christ has come. God took on flesh to live the life we couldn't, to pay for our sin, to conquer death through resurrection. And great news. Is there any reason to have hope? Yes, this world is not our home. Christ will return at the restoration and he will make all things new. What every human being on this planet is longing to know and understand is revealed in the word of God. What everyone needs to know is what Jesus said in John, six, uh, John uh, 3, beginning in verse 16. Every human being needs to know this truth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This tells us something several things, very significant things. First of all, God loves us. God loves us. Despite the fact that we've sinned against him, despite the fact that we have blown it, God loves us and he loves us so much that he sent his son. God has entered into our world. He could have left us. He could abandon us. Instead, God entered into our world of pain and suffering to save us. And our decision about him is crucial. We all believe in something. Everyone you know believes in something. What we believe about Jesus Christ is the most important thing about any of us. If we believe, we receive eternal life. If we do not believe, we are condemned. As a matter of fact, those who don't believe are condemned already because we've all been born in sin. And without forgiveness of sin, we must pay the penalty for our sin. Friends, people need to know this. We can't assume that they get it. We can't assume that, that just because there's Christian radio stations and, and Christian books and, 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 and all these podcasts and all this other stuff that people get it. No, 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 friends. We must tell people the truth. They need to know it. It matters. I don't know if you already heard this news. I just found out about it this morning as we gathered to pray with our pastoral staff. Uh, Hunter Sewell, our college minister, told us that this week, a college student at Western had a blood clot and it, and it caused a, a, a massive stroke and she died. 20, 21 year old young lady who was completely healthy from, from all appearances and from what everyone else know, knew. And I, and I just thought, what was it like for her friends to hear that news? What was that like for her family to get that call, to be told that? And you know what? You know what just sobered me? You know what just just grabbed me? Was the fact that the moment that that young lady died, she stood before our holy God and had to give an account for her life. And either she was condemned or she was received into his heaven. 
And it all depended on what she believed about Jesus Christ. Had her sin been pardoned because of her faith in the work of Jesus Christ who died to pay for her sin? Or did she have to pay the penalty for eternity for her sin? Friends, every single person in this room and every single person you know will have to give an account of their life to God Almighty. And either we are covered in Christ and our sin is forgiven or we are held eternally responsible for that sin. Friends, we must tell this truth and we must tell it with grace. Use words that are gracious. Secondly, disciples of Jesus use words to spark interest. These words are gracious. They are seasoned with salt. What does that mean? That means, friends, that there needs to be some passion when what we're sharing is true. There needs to be something about what we're saying that rings true with us. You know, Americans are funny. I saw this study this week, and I thought I would share it just because, again, how serious our words are. According to the research of the National Center for Biotechnology Information, the average attention span has dropped from 12 seconds in the year 2000 to just 8.25 seconds. As a pastor, that's terrifying. I got 8.25 seconds to convince you to stay awake for 30 minutes. But friends, let me tell you, when you're praying for the salvation of someone who does not believe, they're going to begin to listen to you if your lifestyle matches the gospel because you've already earned some level of credibility. That's what verse five was about. But here's the thing about this verse six, about it being seasoned with salt. If you're not passionate about it, if it's not changing your life, if it's not relevant to you, it, they'll know it and they'll dismiss it. If there is not a passion in your heart for the greatness and the glory of God, the people that you might tell this great truth to know it. Mom and dad, your kids know whether or not you have a passionate love for Jesus Christ. Boys and girls, your friends at school know whether or not you have a passionate love for Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about Jesus and we talk about his word and we talk about how great he is, if we genuinely don't believe that in the depth of our heart, our listeners are gonna know immediately. They say within 8.25 seconds. Friends, you gotta be passionate about what you're sharing. You know what I find very easy to talk about? What I, I sadly would say I have maybe a little bit too much passion about? Food. If I go to a good restaurant, man, I, I, I am like the food evangelist of the world, I think. In Florida, we have certain restaurants we go to. We go to this one that is so good and we go with friends typically and we take pictures there and I like post it and I like talk about it. And, and you know what? People get excited just because I'm excited. They make cheese curds, woo, that, that honor the Lord. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. And see, like right now, some of you are wondering, what is the restaurant? What is this place of which he speaks? How can I get there? How can I know? That's not what this message is about today. <laughs> it's called The Bay and it's awesome. That's all I'm gonna tell you. I said it at 9.30, my phone started lightening up. I could just feel the vibrations uh, and people wanting to know the, the number and the address. I'm not, I, that, that's all I'm giving you. You know why it's easy to talk about food? Because we know people are hungry. You know why it's, why it's easy to talk about food? Because when it's good, it's real good. 
You know what's used to talk about food is because people love to hear about unique things. Things that are different. Things that are just beyond the, the, the right. You know what's easy to talk about Jesus, for me anyway? Because people I know are so hungry for him. And, and if they can get him, if they can understand who he is and what he's done, they get that he's so very good. And, and it's a very unique story. And it's a very powerful experience. It's unlike anything else that you can experience in all of the world. I know that. We know that. We must share it. But it's only going to make sense if it's relevant, personal, practical, and clear. And if our hearts aren't burning for the Lord, if our lives aren't being changed by the word, if, if we are not walking in step with the spirit, our words are not going to be seasoned with salt. Friends, we must use words that are gracious. We must use our words. They, they, must, they must have this, this interest to them because we're passionate about it. And lastly, disciples of Jesus use words to give clarity so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Listen, there are people, they're longing to know the truth. But we're living in a day today where there's this, this stuff called fake news. Have, has, has anyone else heard of fake news? Aren't we kind of sick of hearing about fake news? But here's the thing. As human beings, you know what? We hate to feel like we're being manipulated. And we hate being lied to. And so our mainstream media, the media outlets have a big issue with us right now. And they are on the low end of the totem pole of respect level within our, within our culture today because there have, been so, there have been so many reports that have been claimed to be true that are not true. Friends, there's a reason why a lot of people ditch the faith. And I think it has a lot to do with there, there's, the, there's a lot of fake spiritual news out there. Friends, there are cults out there that are saying things about Jesus that are not true. There are religions, world religions, who are saying things that are not true. And friends, there are Christians, born again, spirit-filled Christians who are making things confusing because they speak so passionately about everything but the gospel. So when, when Christian, be careful. If all you talk about is politics, if all you talk about is, is, is ethics and moralities, if all you, you talk about are these secondary and tertiary issues, again, there's a place for that. There's a place for all of those conversations. But if you never talk about the gospel, you are confusing people. Because what they're thinking is, well, if, if they are talking about politics, then that must be the most important thing. If that's what they always talk about. If mom and dad, if all they talk about is ethics and morality and responsibility, but never about Jesus, that, that must be what that, all that matters is behavioral modification. And I just need to live up to what they expect until I can get, pay my own bills and get on my own. Friends, if we don't share that our hope, that our peace, that our joy, and that our strength is from Jesus, they will assume otherwise. There was a man who came to saving faith in Jesus Christ several years ago. And when he, when he was saved, he was saved on Sunday, he went to work the next day, and he shared his faith. He was very, very bold about it. And a number of the Christians there celebrated. And this guy's boss came to him and said, 
I heard that you accepted Jesus Christ. I want you to know I've been praying for you. I'm so excited that you're a Christian. And the man looked at his boss. He said, you're a Christian? And the boss said, yeah. Yeah, I am. Why? And the man said, you're one of the main reasons that I kept pushing off Christianity. You're one of the main reasons it took me so long to become a Christian. And then I said, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Have, have I done something immoral? Have I done something that, that, would, that would make you think that, that, that I wasn't a Christian? He said, no. He said, as a matter of fact, you have a marriage that I, I would love to have. You, you have a way of life, a way of doing business, a, a strength of personality that I've longed for. But see, I thought that you just had those things because you were strong. And see, I've, I've been telling myself for years, you know what? I can be strong like him. I can have a marriage like him. I can have that kind of life too. I can do it on my own. He said, but I came to the conclusion this weekend that I needed Jesus Christ in order for me to love my wife, in order for me to live my life, in order for me to have this life that God made for me. He said, the whole time, I thought you were able to do it without Jesus. And so I thought I could do it without Jesus too. Friends, how many people are watching you thinking that you don't need Jesus because you never talk about him? Here's what you can know for certain. What you talk about is what they believe drives your life. Everyone's life is driven by something. And whatever you talk about most is typically what people are going to assume what you live for, what excites you, what gives you meaning and purpose. So if all you talk about is making money, if all you talk about is, is politics, if all you talk about is, is you know, your personality and, and, and your interest and whatever, if it's not Jesus and you're a Christian, you're confusing people. Friends, people are watching and they're wondering what do you believe and why? We must use our words. We must tell people about Jesus. We must let them know why we believe, what we believe, and say it in ways that are very clear and understandable so they can respond and so they can believe too. Now, if you've never believed, you need to. If you say you believe, but you don't live like it, you need to repent. If you say you believe, but you never tell anybody, you need to start telling, otherwise you're creating confusion. Do you know someone who's not a Christian? Listen, you need to pray for them because you can't make them hungry or thirsty for the truth of God's word. Only God can do that. So even if you present the truth, if there's no hunger there provided by the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, there won't be a life change. We must pray for the work of God. We must join the work of God and share the truth and see what God does. Now, all that begins with prayer. Some of you need to come and pray and receive Christ. Some of you need to come and pray and say, Lord, I've not been living for you. Some of you need to come and pray for people that you know are lost. Some of you need to pray that you will do the right thing and start telling people what you live for and why. And leaders, come and pray for revival. Bring your bulletin. 
Come and ask God to revive our church. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, there is a, there's a massive need in our, in our city, our nation, our world for Jesus. And, and Lord, there, there are some here today who need you. And I pray that right now they will come and receive you. And just get on their knees and say, Lord, forgive me. Take my life. I'm yours forever. Lord, there's some of your children who need today to come and, and to admit that they're not living or sharing the gospel as they should. And bless them as they repent. And then, Lord, as, as people come today to lift up family and friends and, and people that need you, Lord, hear the prayers of your people today. And as we ask for revival, God, please revive us and give us a passion for your glory and your name so that we will burn bright and share our hope with boldness and love and grace. Come and pray.